Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another Protégé podcast. In our last edition, Kirsten sat down and explained to us some helpful tactics to improve the resale value of your home. But of course, uh, not every attempt necessarily pans out. And now Christina is here to tell us about those attempts, I suppose. <laughs> nice to be here with you, Katie, again, under under the table here. Under the table. I hear prayer Protégé. Um, so yeah, I guess I wanted to go back and talk about things that I've seen that have actually decreased the appeal to somebody that's trying to sell their home. Uh, that was actually more of an attempt to do the opposite and just some things to avoid that will prevent you from spending a lot of money on something that is not going to achieve that goal of uh, selling your home quicker. Needless effort. Needless effort that it's not just you're losing time, you're also losing a lot of money in some mm-hmm. cases. Sounds serious. It can be. <laughs> Let's begin. <laughs> so um, the first few things I kind of want to hit on are mostly things that I've actually had homeowners ask me to design when they were planning on selling in the next six months to a year. And they did want to upgrade, but there was always this cloud of what is something that I would enjoy Versus what is somebody that a good number of the target group that they're trying to sell to would also find appealing. And there's a little bit of a layer to this because, you know, not everybody's going to have the same taste that you do. Not everybody's going to throw parties and entertain if they may just need something simple. Or the next people that own the home, they may not have children that need homework stations. Overall, the message is to, we want to leave things as a blank canvas, but here to the details that are going to be an eye draw and catcher when somebody's uh, looking to buy the house. A pretty blank canvas. A pretty blank canvas with some tote and (laughs) other, you know, not not boring, but Mm -hmm. non- what am I trying to say? <laughs> nothing that's a, not offensive, but nothing that... Non-confrontational Non-confrontational. That is perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. This is what you're here for. You help me with my words. Tell me, what is something that you have seen someone do that you think hurt the value of their resale? Yes. So as far as hurting it directly, I would say built-ins of many sorts. Not all, mm-hmm. but a lot of them. They're not only expensive most of the time, and they definitely have good intention with it, And of course, everybody needs more storage space, right? Right. But, you know, if they were planning on hanging a bigger TV on a wall that you add built-ins or surround sound or whatever it is that prevents them from doing that, they're either not going to get it or they're going to immediately in their head when they're looking at it be figuring out how they're going to rip it out. That's one thing. Nothing that limits or constricts the space. Another example is like I was talking about desks or certain certain built-in shelving is fine, but anything that's extensive, even closets, it it will seem forced and it forces them to think about, oh man, I have these tubs, I have these suitcases that won't fit in this area. You know, I, I don't need sweater dividers or a belt rack or whatever it is. And people are usually pretty particular about closets. They want something that, yes, has shelving and can accommodate a lot of things, but people tend to put very specific personal items in there as well that they want to make sure there's space for. So those, you know, build-a-closets or closet factory and things like that, they're great if you're going to lose, use long-term, but definitely not a good short-term investment for a resale. Another thing that I like to uh, have people avoid 
or Murphy beds. <laughs> um, and I actually wrote a blog post about this that was quite passionate. And there are there are two things Christina hates more than anything else in the world, and they are Murphy beds and barn doors, which I'm sure we'll manage to fit in at some point. But you know, please. that was my next topic. Continue. Oh, it's next. Okay. <laughs> Grab the popcorn. As Kitty was saying earlier today, it's not it's not a full protege day if we don't talk about one of those things in a negative context <laughs> a day. So Murphy beds, just a quick synopsis on that. It's it's not that I hate the concept Wait, of Murphy beds. What is a Murphy bed? Okay, back up. Let's go to the Murphy bed. I'm going to refer to my article. No, it's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so a Murphy bed is basically, you know, it's evolved over time as actually what it is in the construction aspect, but it's something that it allows flexible space in terms of building a surround and something that allows your bed to fold up into the wall. Mm -hmm. And people love it for, you have guests over, they have grandkids over, and they see a lot of uh, benefit in that. Well, it sounds great. It sounds great. So... So the the thing is, you have to really watch the room that you put it in. A lot of people want to put it in a smaller room, like a guest bedroom or a workout room or an office. But they actually do take up quite a bit of depth, even when it's folded up. You have to really make sure that you're sizing it to your ceiling heights. I've seen people try to order ones not thinking about the ceiling height, and then when you fold it up, it's actually not going to fit. So... Yeah, that's another thing to watch out for. And then depending on how serious you want to get about it, some people will build it in so it's flush with the wall, but then it has the full bookshelves around it and a pull-out nightstand. And then you're talking up to eight to 10 grand, even if it's a prefabricated one. If you talk about building something very custom, it can go up from there. The sad part is if somebody really had their heart set on making that their office, they don't want to move their furniture out of the way when their Murphy bed comes down. It could be a real obstruction. They would have maybe liked to have filing cabinets or some sort of built-in display case, whatever it is, instead of you spending that 10 grand on a Murphy bed and them wanting to pull it out. Because, I mean, you might see a bedroom and they see a home office. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because families are different. People have different jobs. They have different hobbies. And so you, even if you've decided a room is something in your house, office, den, breakfast room, You want to let people have that opportunity just by the way it's staged and lit and all sorts of other things that play into that, that they can use it for a variety and multitude of things. They're not always a bad investment. If if you're going to do it something where you're like, okay, I might resell in five years, I recommend doing a very simple Murphy bed. And that's where I really talk about it in the blog post. The ways to do it that is more cost effective, less invasive, less visible, less limiting, and for a fraction of the cost. So if you're going to do it, have to do it, can't live without it, check out my blog and uh, you'll see the full history. Well, enough about the blog. (laughs) You can cut it out. (laughs) You can cut it out. So (laughs) going back to uh, Katie's mentioning of my barn door bashing, there's a few reasons that I don't like barn doors. Which is funny because they're so popular. They are so popular. Part of it's because I'm from Waco, Texas, and, you know, fixer-uppers, like, kind of been about barn doors from what I've heard. <laughs> That's I, what I, the show's about. <laughs> I purposely stay away from watching it. But um, barn doors are actually not that good of an investment when it comes to the functionality of them. And they, they granted, they have gotten better over the last few years, but when they were at the top of their popularity – People wouldn't realize how expensive they were and how small the lifespan was. The other thing is, you know, you can't lock them. 
There are very little sound barriers. So people will be like, can I put that on my bathroom? And I'm like, wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't recommend hear everything it. on the other side. Um, so that being said, and then some people just don't like them aesthetically. So don't add the barn door. Many people would think it's cute, but... It could be an immediate strong turnoff for others. Let them make that decision. On Let their them own. put the barn door in. You know, you could be like, "This is a great place for a barn door," right. and see what they do with it. Pique their interest. Exactly. So, just kind of going a little bit farther down the list. So, in terms of the kitchen, because as Kirsten was talking about in the last podcast, it's it's kind of become the mecca of the family involvement. Mm-hmm. It's where people do homework now. It's people, you know, have their little office in there. They feed snacks, they eat breakfast, yeah, they entertain and socialize. As that focal point of the home, you know, you may feel that that would be a good investment to put expensive countertops in or replace all the cabinetry. And if you haven't bid out these sort of things or know the costs associated with it, let me warn you, those things can be massive cost drivers to any project. And it would be a shame if somebody didn't like the granite that you had just spent so much money on and they it was a buying decision that they decided not to go with it or they immediately plan on replacing these things, like I said. So make sure that you're, you do that, updates, touch-ups, but not replace some of those okay, things. Okay, okay. That, that's kind of what I was about to ask you. Is it better just to leave something <clears throat> old than to replace them? I would say it's a good idea unless it's something that is like drastically noticeable breaking, then... <laughs> Touch it up, make it look nice, paint it a different color so that it's not so worn. Replace the hardware. That's another good thing. Or sometimes if the shelves are damaged or have a crack in it, whatever, that's another thing that you can do to just improve pieces of it without paying over $500 per cabinet box plus the countertop to kind of segment that out. Go for the noticeable aesthetics and then try not to do some of these things, depending on the project, but... That's uh, that's kind of my little two cents about it. Was that is that all you have to offer? I'm, I'm trying kidding. to think. Oh, popcorn ceiling though. I didn't. Talk oh, about that. please. This is my hatred. She hates barn doors, and I hate popcorn ceilings so much. So just so, I had a curiosity. Why? They're ugly. One, I I just want the clean texture of like a smooth surface. And if you like, I did as a kid, get up there and touch it and poke at it, it falls. And it gets in your eyes, and it's dangerous. And there's like asbestos in there, isn't there? Yeah, you might die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we've all accidentally touched it, scraped it off. Some people have even done their whole house and scraped all the popcorn ceilings. That being said, I highly recommend that you don't do it yourself. Uh, you know, well, one, it's it's something that you don't know how much asbestos could be in there. You don't know how much lead is which are both toxic if they're disturbed. Otherwise, unless you scrape it or touch it or it's breaking apart, even if it has asbestos in it, it's actually not harmful. Hmm, it's when it it's when it's broken up and then you're able to breathe it in. It, it is a big turnoff for a lot of homeowners, and I can definitely understand uh, you wanting to do something like that, and it's definitely something I would look into doing. I would consult your local asbestos or lead professional, have them come in, at least test it and see what the danger scope is. And usually they have uh, people that are on team that can uh, help you out with that or give you some really good advice if you insist on doing it in certain locations yourself. But as I said, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. 
But overall, it, it would be a nice touch to any resale. Essentially, over this podcast, my message is that when it comes to resale, you don't want to do anything that blocks people from having an open canvas, but you also don't want to make it seem like too much of a blank blank slate. So not everybody's going to like your taste, but there are certain things that make it or break it in terms of, okay, is this house old and falling apart? Or is this something with nice touches that I could work with, so. A lot to keep in mind. I think your point came across very clearly. Thank you for sitting down with me underneath the table. I keep saying that. Let me actually describe this to you. <laughs> in order, you know, for good audio quality, we are sitting under a table in our office with blankets draped around it in order to reduce sound textures that we don't want. So every time we're saying that, that's what we mean. And I'm 5'11", which is making this rather difficult. We can't sit up straight. But the whole thing came about because a friend of mine that works in uh, audio and actually does travels with Fleetwood Mac, he was giving us some advice, and uh, he suggested that we essentially make a blanket fort. So we did. We make a and it helps a lot. A lot. <laughs> you can hear the high notes and the low notes. And not the air conditioning. <laughs> and not, the, not the air conditioning. So catch us next time to not hear air conditioning <laughs> in, our, in our next podcast. Um, I'm not sure what we're talking about yet, but we'll figure it out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This has been Katie Carroll with the Protégé Podcast.